It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. A Declaration of War 
a declaration of war. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, as I speak what you've put on my heart tonight, I ask that you would quicken my spirit. That you would rise up in this place in power. Have your way. Oh, Lord, and make me clean to speak your word. Let it be your Holy Spirit's word to our hearts tonight to both encourage and call forth. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. As the children of Israel, out here in this desert wilderness, they were not a threat to anyone. They could wander around with the snakes and the scorpions 40 years and nobody cared. The Amorites had their territory. The Philistines had their territory. The Canaanites, they were all right. The Babylonians had theirs. The Egyptians had theirs. No one wanted to go and colonize the desert. No one cared that they were in the desert. They did care, however, that the children of Israel remain in the desert. For if they were to come out of the desert, they would want property that was already taken. And so as the children of Israel now edge up on the Jordan River, the people of the land are saying not to worry, they can't cross the Jordan River. They'll be swept away. We're safe. Don't worry about those people. They'll get tired and turn around and go back into the wilderness where they belong. Did you know, as long as you remain out in the wilderness, nobody's going to care if you're a Christian. In Iraq, under Saddam Hussein, there was complete religious freedom as long as you worshipped in your state-approved church and you didn't take anything out of that wilderness. But go out on the street and begin to proclaim that Jesus was Lord and you would find yourself in the prison being tortured. Because they had said this small amount of territory, that's all right if you have it. You can have that territory. Just don't move on. Don't come into our territory. And so the children of Israel come up to this Jordan River, and at the Jordan River, everyone is still saying not to worry. These people can't cross. You know that legend about the Red Sea opening? That was just a legend. It's a myth. Don't worry about that. They're flesh and blood like we are. And nobody is crossing the Jordan River in flood stage. But when the mighty power of God opened that Jordan River and they went down into the Jordan River, they were declaring war. Now, many of you have been quite comfortable calling yourself a Christian wandering around in your desert. You have made peace with that kind of living I can stay tucked away in my little hidey cave over here. I'll continue to do this little work that God has asked me to do. 
I'll continue going out and collecting the manna. But don't ask me to cross the Jordan River, for that's to declare war on the enemy. Now, what is the enemy you're declaring war on? The biblical symbolism of the Jordan River is that when you cross that river, you have declared war on sin. Not just anybody's sin. You have declared war on your sin. Not on your wife's sin or your husband's sin. Not on your family's sin. You have declared war on your sin. And you have established in the land the city of Jericho. And it has high walls. And the seeds of that were planted early in your life. When you were taught, as I was taught, that I should be a good part of this culture. And that I could have Jesus and the world too. And so things began to grow in my life. They began to build up walls. They began to take possession of my life. When you cross the Jordan River, you're declaring war on all of those things that have found root in your life. And you are saying, it's over. Now, a Christian who is lukewarm, a Christian who is content walking in the world and making the best of his or her situation, eager to get ahead in the things of life, investing themselves in the world but not in Jesus. Now, this person has no intention to ever declare war on sin. In fact, they would say, you are foolish to declare war on sin. I had one man say to me, Pastor, you're being too hard. you got to know how to hang with the world and hang with Jesus. No. That man won't cross the Jordan River. To cross the Jordan River means that I am declaring war on every Jericho in my life. And that until those walls come tumbling down, the war is on. Now, if you want to look at that in the New Testament for just a moment, keep your finger there in Joshua and look at Mark, the Gospel of Mark. In the first chapter, you find there John came baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance. And where did he baptize? In the Jordan River. Why not in the Sea of Galilee? No, the Jordan River was the symbolic meaning he had to give the children of Israel. When they came out of the wilderness, they had to cross the Jordan River. And now he's asking them once more to come and cross the Jordan River. He's asking them to declare war on their sins. He's asking them to repent, to turn aside from everything that would take their attention away from the coming Messiah. 
It says, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, even as the children of Israel were baptized in the Red Sea and then died in the wilderness. Then they were baptized in the Jordan River. And this time they come into the promised land. Now watch. Verse 9, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. If you want to hear the voice of Jesus Christ speaking to you and saying, you are my son and in you I am well pleased, you're going to have to cross the Jordan River. You're going to have to declare war on your sins. Until you take that course of action, repenting of your sins, turning aside from them and making a covenant commitment to go across that Jordan River to not allow Jericho to remain until you make that covenant commitment. You will constantly be pulled and pushed by the enemy. You'll be seduced by him. You'll be in a state of confusion. You'll be in a state of slipping and sliding. You're not sure. You remember what the children of Israel did? They, they brought the spies back and the spies said those walled cities are so high, there's no way you can ever capture those cities. We look like grasshoppers to those people. And some of you experience what I'm talking about as you have struggled with those addictions or you have struggled with that temper or you've struggled with that lusting after money, that lack of discipline or whatever it is. You've seen it as a great giant and you've said, I just can't whip that thing. That is the message of the spies who returned from the promised land. And it is a lie. It is a lie. Now, when they came to the Jordan River, at flood stage, the power of God opened the way before them. But did you notice in the story, the priests had to put their feet in the water before it divided? Some of you have been saying, I'm waiting on God to do this. No, go stand in the middle of the river and let God do it. Get wet. Don't sit in your easy chair on the side of the river and say, I'm going to sit here and watch this river like I'm fishing. I'm going to wait for the bobber to go and then it's going to work out. No, you go stand in the river, your feet's in the water. You're soaking wet. You're waiting on God. And the presence of God parts the river. And now you have declared war on that sin in your life. You've said, I will not rest. Until I have the victory. Nothing will be dissuade me. I will go through. There is no turning back. Now listen to what Isaiah in the 42nd chapter says about this issue. 
Verse 13. The Lord will march out like a mighty man, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal with a shout. He will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemy. You want the Lord to come marching out for you? You want the Lord to stir up his zeal for you? then declare war on your sin. And say, I will not allow one more moment to pass with that thing not being confessed, with that thing not being repented of. I will not stand for one more minute with that being condoned in my life. Some of you need to repent of how you've handled your money. You've not been faithful to the Lord. You've considered it your money, not the Lord's money. Some of you have not been faithful in the way you have dealt with food. Some of you have not been faithful in the way you've dealt with work. Some of you still go to work and complain about how bad it is, how hard it is, how awful it is. Oh, God, I wish you'd just deliver me from this work. Well, if you want God to deliver you, declare war on your sins. God will not stir up his zeal for you to deliver you from a financial problem. Unless you have declared war on your sin. You understand what a declaration of war is? It's where you say we have been desperately wronged and our very lives are being threatened. And because of that, we must go and defend ourselves. And you gather all the resources you have and you marshal yourself like an army to go and deal with that enemy that is coming against you. This means recognizing that your sin is an enemy. It's not a friend. Recognizing that that sin is what will destroy your heart and your happiness, your very life. Recognizing that and saying, I won't tolerate this another minute. I'm not going to walk this way. Last night I had to make a decision. The Lord had me doing some production work late on the computer. And in my mind I was saying... Who won the California election? I ought to just go online and I could read about it. But if I'd gone online and read about it, it would have meant I would have taken all my time that the holy God of heaven was calling me to spend with him last night before I went to bed. He was calling me in my spirit and saying, come. You finished your production work that I gave you. Now come and spend time with me. I had to make a decision. Anything that takes my heart away from Jesus Christ is sin. Anything that draws my spirit toward it and away from the Almighty God is sin to me. Now, maybe last night you were able to go online. Maybe it was not sin for you, but last night it would have been sin for me. Because it would have been drawing my heart to the darkness 
And then I would have had no time in the word and I would have had no time in prayer because I would have been exhausted. I would have been drawn in and spent that next hour and a half on the Internet. I would have been well informed today. But I would have been devoid of the spirit of God today. I have spent so many days of my life well informed and devoid of the spirit I can't walk that way anymore. And so it meant for me, I had to declare war on the Internet last night. And say, you shall not have me. I belong to another. This hour ahead of me is precious time. I want to go and be in the presence of my Lord and my Savior. Now, those kinds of deliberate choices have to be made when we begin to declare war on our sin. We no longer walk in unconsciousness. We walk consciously before God. We decide with our mind and our heart and our spirit that we will settle for nothing less than Jesus Christ. What have you decided in your heart? What have you chosen? How do you spend yourself? Is it for Jesus? Have you declared war on sin? And has the Lord God of heaven now stirred up his zeal on your behalf so that you begin to see the victory? Now watch. The Lord says, for a long time, I've kept silent. I've been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, I pant. I will lay waste the mountains and the hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. When you declare war on sin, the Lord God of heaven stirs up his heart. And he determines that he is going to do something new. He is going to lead you as a blind person in a way you have not known in the past. Can't tell you how vital it is in this battle on war, to be willing to get off the beaten path. To go on the new path that the Lord would open for you. A new way of thinking, a new way of behaving, a new way of relating. Done by the Holy Spirit, by the zeal of God, as he stirred up his heart on your behalf. Now you see, I've been raised... This way, I was taught that if you want victory over sin, you have to try harder. Any of you taught that? Yes, you just try harder. And if you try hard enough, you'll make it. That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that when you declare war on sin, God stirs up his zeal, not your zeal. 
And he then begins to lead you into paths that you've never gone on before. He begins to close some doors and open other doors. He begins to set up circumstances in your life. And suddenly you have to just stop and say, wait a minute, I'm not acting like I used to act. I'm a different person. And you begin to be surprised by what begins to flow out of your heart because God has stirred up his zeal on your behalf. You didn't try hard. God did it for you. But you have to declare war on the sin. You have to make a decision. Am I content to continue living this way? And that's why often when I speak with persons in private and they begin to tell me about their marriage or they begin to tell me about whatever it is, one of the questions I always ask them is, would you like to have what's going on continue with just a little bit of improvement? I need to know that because if that's what they desire, if they just want a little improvement, a little lessening of pain, but basically they want to keep walking the same path, I have nothing I can do to help them. Because what I have to share with them is that they're going to have to declare war on the sin. They're going to have to let God step into their marriage. They're going to have to let God step into their life. They're going to have to die. That's what baptism means. You die. You're out of the picture. And Jesus steps into the picture. And now with his zeal stirred up on your behalf, he begins to take you on new paths. Now notice verse 18. Hear you, deaf. Look, you blind, and see. Who is blind like my servant? And deaf like the messenger I send. Who is blind like the one committed to me? Blind like the servant of the Lord. Who have seen many things but have paid no attention. Your ears are open but you hear nothing. The Lord is saying. There are those who are committed to me who want to walk with me, but they want to stay back there in the desert. They never want to cross the Jordan River. They don't ever want to go to war. And so they're inconsequential. Nobody cares about them. They don't have any impact around them or on the world. They want to hang on to their sin and their darkness. They want to stay out in that barren barren wilderness. They want to stay with their anger and their bitterness. They want to stay with their feeling bad. They want to just stay out there and pout. And the Lord says, declare war on it. And I'll stir up my zeal for you. And I'll move into action for you. Now, I tell you, it was a long time for me struggling. I used to just lay on my face and say, oh God, what will it take for my prayers to stir you into action to deliver me. Because when I pray, it's like the heavens are shut up and I'm not being heard. I'm I'm muttering into the dirt 
it's like I'm muttering like a dead man out of the soil. What's it going to take, God, for you to begin to hear me and deliver me? I'm going to die if you don't deliver me. And of course, I heard nothing. Those kinds of prayers didn't stir up the zeal of God. Poor me whining doesn't stir up the zeal of God. Complaining to God doesn't stir up his zeal. The zeal of God is stirred up when his people declare war on sin and then say, Lord God, you are my helper. You are my helper. And now deliverance comes from heaven. I don't mean to repeat myself, and I usually don't, but I'm just sensing I need to right now. Some of you want God to step into your life and work a miracle for you. And you've been asking him to do that for a long time. And you're growing weary of asking him. And you're saying, why won't God hear my prayers? Why won't God hear my prayers? Why are the heavens shut up? I pray my little prayer and I say, Jesus, please, please come and help me with my temper. And I'm just as mad the next day as I was before. Jesus, come and come and help me get along better at my work. And work is just as bad as it was the day before. Jesus, come and help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And there's no help. The phones are ringing. Every problem in the world is coming down on my head. I'm not making enough money. I I just can't keep going like this. Oh, God, I can't keep going like this. Does that stir up his zeal? That does not stir up the zeal of God on your behalf. The zeal of God is only stirred up when I declare war on my sin. The zeal of God is stirred up only when I declare war on my sin. Now you remember Jesus goes into that Jordan River and John protests in the book of Matthew and says, why should you be baptized by me. I should be baptized by you. Jesus said, no, let it be done unto me to fulfill all righteousness. What was he talking about? He was saying, I'm going to be baptized as a symbol of going to war against the devil. Where did he go? As soon as he comes up out of the water, right out into the wilderness to do war with the devil. Because the devil said, you'll sin. And the devil found no hold on Jesus. You cross into that Jordan River and you declare war on your sin. You are going to war directly against the devil himself. Now I tell you, the Cana land is there to be taken. It's ours. It's been promised to us. 
But the Canaanites are not going to come bow down to us and say, we recognize that God has said this is yours. And so come on, move in. They're not going to do that. And that lust you have in your heart is not going to just come and bow down and say, oh, you want to serve Jesus? That's okay, I'll move out. That addiction that you have in your spirit that you comfort yourself with, do you think that thing is going to rise up, put up its hands and say, okay, you want Jesus? I'll move out. You can have Jesus. No, it's going to say, I will have you. I will possess you. Jesus will not have you. You belong to me. And only a declaration of war will suffice. Against everything that separates my heart from Jesus. And some of the things that separate our hearts from Jesus have high walls of tradition. They have high walls of family. They have high walls of personal experience. Well, this is how it's always worked for me, Pastor. How can I do anything different? This is what the past was. Does the past predict your future? Does the past predict your future? Or does the blood of Jesus Christ predict your future? If your past predicts your future, you're going to hell. If the blood of Jesus predicts your future, you're going to heaven. So all of those past memories that come rushing in and they grab a hold of you and they say, now, now, this is the time to get angry. This is the time to whine. This is the time to feel bad. This is the time to get tough and mow over people. This is the time to stand up and be indignant and self-righteous. This is the time. All of those things of the past experience fill the Jerichos in our lives. And if you're going to declare war on them, the zeal of God will rise up in your heart and your spirit And he will do war with them. And the walls will come tumbling down. And you won't knock them down. Jesus will knock them down. Now there's a part of this story that is so awesome. I have to come back to it. We spoke about it Sunday, but let's let's look once more. After they've crossed the Red Sea, there is circumcision in chapter 5. After they've crossed the Jordan River, there is circumcision at Gilgal. Circumcision is once more a part of that act of declaring war. It is the cutting off of all expectation of human ability or self-help. I mean, here's a brother who is X number of dollars in debt. And he brings this thing to the Lord God of heaven and he places it on the throne of God. And he says, Lord God, look at this debt that I've incurred. This is sin against you and I repent for this debt and I put this debt under the blood. 
And now, Jesus, would you stir up your zeal against this enemy? Would you stir up your zeal and would you open the way for me to deal with this debt? Now, I tell you out of my own personal experience, the Lord God of heaven will stir up his zeal against that debt. For he said, allow no debt but the debt of love to remain outstanding. The Lord God of heaven will step into that and you'll see him begin to lead you on new paths. Things will happen and you'll say, how did that happen? Because the zeal of God has stepped into this thing and new things have begun to take place. But now let's say, okay, I've got this indebtedness. I say, Lord, I shouldn't be in debt. I recognize I shouldn't be in debt, but Lord, I've got some side jobs over here I can do to get out. And I've got these things that I can do to get out of this debt. And Jesus, I could borrow from over here to pay a part of the debt to get them off my back. And Jesus, I could do this and this and this. And my wife could go back to work and she could earn and and we could get a little more of the debt paid. And the Lord's zeal will not be stirred up for that man. Instead, the Lord will allow that man who is making peace with his debt to be under the bondage of that debt. Now, if I come to that debt and I put it under the blood of Jesus, and now Jesus begins to speak to me and say, okay, now this is what you do with this debt. Ray, I want you to go over and see this man. I want you to go see this person. These are the steps you're to take. And in our life, that's exactly what the Lord did. We sat without any money. This was the first step that we had taken toward the Lord in saying, okay, we are at an utter end of ourselves. We are out of food. We are out of money. We are out. We have nothing left. We have nothing left. And that's when the knock came on the door. And a friend was at the door saying, can I take you to meet this attorney? We sat down in the attorney's office and he said, why are you here? How can I help you, sir? And I said, I don't know. You can't help me. And he sits back in his chair with a smile and he says, do you need money? Well, yes, I need money. And he brings out the quarter of a million dollars worth of gems in a briefcase And says, I've been meaning to sell these. I haven't been able to. I'll pay you this percentage on everything you sell. Well, I'd never sold gems in my life. I didn't know one gem from another gem. But I knew it was the Lord. And so without even signing a paper, I walked out of that man's office with a briefcase with a quarter of a million dollars worth of precious stone in it. No signed contract. Went to the house, told Jan what had happened. She was frightened. We spread them all out on the bed. A huge pile of these stones. And she said, oh, yes, that's a garnet. Oh, yes, that's a topaz. Yes, that's, I didn't know that. Each in a little baggie with a tag on it, giving its carrot weight. So we put it in the car. We watched the repo repo man is not outside the door. We have just enough gas to get to Barstow, California and back again. 
We drive out into the desert, and there in the desert, there's a great show going on with tents set up all over around Barstow. A gem show, as is often done in the West. We walk into that gem show, self-conscious, holding $2,500 or $250,000 worth of gems, fearing someone will steal them from us. We go to the largest tent there and we tell the owner, look, we've got some gems. Would you be interested in looking at them? He was busy with a customer and he says, sure, but not now. Come back this evening at the end of the show. So we walk the rest of the day. We walk around this show. No money to buy any soda. No money to buy any food. We're dead broke. We don't have a dime to our name. But we have $250,000 worth of precious stones. I'd never been down this road before. This was a new path. At the end of the evening, we bring this briefcase and he begins to sort through and he says, yes, I like that one. I like that one. I'll take that. I'll take that when it's all finished. He's purchased $50,000 worth of gems and he pays us in cash. The next morning, we go to see the attorney. We give him the $50,000 in cash. We return his briefcase. He doesn't even open it and look in it. He simply takes it and puts it in his safe. And he gives us our 15% commission. Now you figure out 15% of $50,000. And suddenly we have enough money to pay off the debt for the house and the car. To buy some food. God was doing it. He was taking us down new paths. Unexpected avenues. When you declare war on your sin, God will begin to stir up his zeal on your behalf to deliver you from whatever it is you need delivered from. But there must first come the declaration of war. And with that declaration of war comes the circumcision, recognizing you can't win the battle. You can't take the Jericho. Only the mighty hand of God can take the Jericho. Again and again, I've had to say to you, this is not a self-help process. This is not a try-harder process. This is a dying process. This is a resurrection process. Now, the most glorious thing happened. Joshua is walking in the field near Jericho. And Jericho is all shut up. They're terrified of these people. And suddenly, Joshua sees a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. And Joshua asks, are you for us or for our enemies? It was the wrong question. The Lord God of heaven is saying, and I want you to catch this. He's saying that the battle for your soul is not between you and Satan. The battle for your soul is between Jesus Christ 
and Satan. The battle for your soul is not between you and Satan. It's between Jesus Christ and Satan. And as you declare war on this sin in your heart, God begins to stir up his zeal for you. And as he stirs up his zeal on your behalf, he comes and reveals himself to you. And he begins to instruct you on what you're to do for the winning of this battle. That you might cooperate with Almighty God. Joshua falls face down to the ground in reverence. What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the Lord Jesus answered, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. I can't tell you how important it is tonight for you to get your shoes off your feet. You think you can walk through that financial deal? Get your shoes off. You think you can make it through that workplace? Get your shoes off. The only way the zeal of God is going to be stirred up on our behalf is when our shoes are off. When our shoes are off, he'll strip his zeal for us. Not only will he stir up his zeal for us, he'll tell us what to do. Now he begins to lay out Chapter 6, verse 2. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpet, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in. But now I have a question. Is every man to go in straight in and grab what he can grab? In other words, do you understand my question? The zeal of the Lord has worked a great deliverance. Go get what you want. No. Everything in the city is devoted to the Lord God of heaven. You see, if if the Lord God of heaven had said, yes, go in and grab everything and growl as you want to. Plunder the city. Then they would have said, okay. Now we've got it. We can use God to get what we want. And then Joshua's question is correct. Are you for us or against us? If you're for us now, God, great. Come and take down the wall so we can go in and get what we want. No, everything in the city is harimed. Harimed. We've spoken of that word before. Devoted in the Hebrew is harimed. It comes from the word harem. The Lord God of heaven is saying, everything in that city belongs in my harem. 
Don't touch it. So as the Lord begins to stir up his zeal on your behalf, and he begins to work miracles, and he begins to work victory in your life, and then you rush in and say, oh, thank you, Jesus. I've got it. I don't need you anymore now. I'll call you next time I need you. God is not our servant. We are his servant. So nothing will quench the presence of God in our lives as quickly as when he begins to work a deliverance and we say, thank you very much, I've got it. And now I can finish it with what you've given me. From first to last, this has to be a work of the Spirit of God. He will step in. He will stir up his zeal. He will tell us what to do. But recognize that everything that results from that is harimed. It belongs to God. And so you become free. Joy begins to fill your heart. You're beginning to rejoice. You're beginning to see great deliverances. You belong to the Almighty God. Don't grab yourself. Don't then say, okay, now I can go do what I want to do. God has helped me. God's delivered me. I must be favored by God. Now I'm free to go do what I want to do. Some of you have experienced this. God has brought a little bit of victory in your life. And you've said, thank you, God. And ran as fast as you could back to your sin and addiction. And you quenched the spirit of the living God. And his zeal quieted down. And he said, okay, I'll just give you over to it. If that's really what you want, then I give you over to it. And a man who's had his house cleansed. And then the spirit of God departs. Seven more demons than you had originally will come and inhabit that place. And the downfall of that house will be very great. So tonight I ask you, do you want to see the manifested glory of God in your life? Declare war on your sin. Declare war on those Jerichos that seem impossible to deal with in your lives. As soon as you declare that war, as soon as you determine, I'm going to walk before the Lord according to his will. I'm no longer going to walk in the old way of the flesh. I'm going to walk in the new way of the spirit. Romans, the eighth chapter. I'm going to walk in that newness of life. I'm going to walk in the joy of the Lord. He stirs his zeal up for you. He begins to deliver you. He begins to break bondages. He begins to restore that which was broken. You begin to see the manifested glory of God in your life. Don't run back like a pig to the pig pen. Don't run like a dog back to his vomit. Stay in the presence of Almighty God. Searching after him. Continue the war until the total victory is won. And you have been inhabited fully by the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. And sin no longer has dominion over you. 
but grace has dominion over you. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. For Jesus shed His precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as Trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh